0: Friends, this is now the third in our Psalm series. And one way to understand that whole collection of 150 ancient Hebrew prayers, according to American Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, is they fit into a threefold structure of Psalms of orientation, disorientation, or of new orientation. And today and in coming weeks, uh, Emily and Dale and I will be telling you about each of those varieties. Today's creation psalm, the 104th, falls into the category of a psalm of orientation. These are psalms which celebrates God's faithful, trustworthy, and reliable character. In the midst of so much change and chaos which surrounds us in the present moment, it's important to know that some things don't shift or change but can be relied upon. Such is the character of God revealed to us in Holy Scripture. Psalm 104, a psalm of orientation, celebrates what's right with our world. In this case, God's good and wise work as creator. Now, another creation psalm, the eighth, focuses on God's creation of human beings. but Psalm 104 focuses on God's work in creating our environment. So let's hear our song. The hundred and fourth, a wonderful, beautiful Psalm of creation. So follow along as we hear our text.
1: Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O LORD, MY GOD, YOU ARE VERY GREAT. YOU ARE CLOTHED WITH HONOR AND MAJESTY, WRAPPED IN LIGHT AS WITH A GARMENT. YOU STRETCH OUT THE HEAVENS LIKE A TENT. YOU SET THE BEAMS OF YOUR CHAMBERS ON THE WATERS AND MAKE THE CLOUD YOUR CHARIOT. YOU RIDE ON THE WINGS OF THE WIND. YOU MAKE THE winds YOUR MESSENGERS, FIRE AND FLAME YOUR MINISTERS. YOU SET THE EARTH ON ITS FOUNDATION SO THAT IT SHALL NEVER BE SHAKEN. You cover it with the deep, as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take to flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills giving drink to every wild animal. The wild asses quench their thirst by the streams. The birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches from your lofty abode. You water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use to bring forth food from the earth. AND WINE TO GLADDEN THE HUMAN HEART, OIL TO MAKE THE FACE SHINE, AND BREAD TO STRENGTHEN THE HUMAN HEART. THE TREES OF THE LORD ARE WATERED ABUNDANTLY, THE CEDARS OF LEBANON THAT HE PLANTED. IN THEM THE BIRDS BUILD THEIR NESTS, THE STORK HAS ITS HOME IN THE fir TREES, THE HIGH MOUNTAINS ARE FOR THE WILD GOATS, THE ROCKS ARE REFUGE FOR THE coonies. You made YOU HAVE MADE THE MOON TO MARK THE SEASONS. The sun knows its time for setting. You make the darkness, and it is night. And when all the animals of the forest come creeping out, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work and to their labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there. Living things, both small and great. There go the ships and the leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditations be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, praise the Lord.
0: Well now let's work our way through the psalm section by section and see what we find there. In sublime poetic language, the writer begins in verses one through four by speaking about the majesty of our creator in relation to the whole universe. Likening God to a human monarch, the psalmist pictures God wearing light as a royal robe. The Lord has built a royal palace on firm pillars in the rolling waters of the celestial sea. Clouds are God's chariots, the wind God's horses fire and flame God's servants. In verses 5 through 9, the poet proclaims God Lord over the waters of chaos. Among ancient Israelites, water was a symbol of chaos and disorder. In this section, God harnesses chaos. The earth is set on pillars in the midst of deep waters. And then at God's command, the waters recede in covering mountains and valleys. God sets boundaries so that the waters of chaos may not again cover the surface of the earth. The good earth and the interconnectedness of God's creation are the subjects of verses 10 through 23. What we discover is a wonderfully fertile and productive environment. The waters of chaos, now kept in check, are put to good use so that springs flow through the valleys and hills, allowing animals to quench their thirst. Like an attentive gardener, the Lord waters the mountains. God causes grass to grow for cattle and plants for people. God waters the trees, which in turn provide habitat for the birds. The mountains provide habitat for goats, rocks, are a refuge for badgers. Alternating periods of light and darkness provide opportunities for people and animals to work, and to rest. Verse 24 stands alone in the psalm as a word of praise. And it's important to pay attention to, in the middle of the psalm, he's not not finished describing God's good work as creator, but there's a pause and the psalmist says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Then in verses 25 and 26, the poet turns his eye from land and sky to sea. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things, both small and great. One sea creature is singled out for special mention, Leviathan, the sea monster used elsewhere as a symbol of evil. The psalmist says that the creator brought the sea into being and Leviathan to sport in it. God takes pleasure in watching Leviathan frolic in the sea. The mighty Leviathan is domesticated here and becomes God's pet. Now, the dependence of all living things on God, our Creator, is stated in verses 27 to 30. God provides all creatures with food. When God's hand is open, all creatures are filled with good things, whereas when God's face is hidden, all are dismayed. When God removes our breath, we die and return to the dust from which we came. When God sends forth the spirit, things are brought into being. Creation is renewed. And finally, verses 31 to 35 form a concluding blessing. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. And in the human response, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. Now, let's think about what this psalm teaches us about our relationship with God and with the creation God has brought into being. Now, I want to make three observations. First, notice that the psalmist does not deify creation as do pantheists, as if the creation partakes of God's divine essence or is to be identified with God or ultimate reality. While the creation is good, and it is very good, it is not worthy of our worship. Ideally, however, its beauty leads us to wonder how and by whom did this world with its intricate and beautiful structure come into being? So in that sense, creation itself is a sign- post, pointing to the excellence and the goodness of our creator. Second, notice that an attitude of appreciation pervades this ancient prayer and should shape our attitudes about the environment. That being the case, as the good work of God, our creator, the entire creation deserves our respect and our care. Genesis chapter 2, God put our human ancestor in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. God has given us a similar role for our planet today. God has appointed us to, appointed us to be creation's caregivers. We are God's gardeners charged with caring for and nurturing the ecosystems God has given us, not damaging or destroying them. The entire environment comes from the hand of God and is beloved by our creator. Therefore, we must treat the plant and animal life on earth with respect as co-inhabitors of this planet along with us. This means that as humans, we are connected to our environment and the ecosystems which surround us. God has set us on the planet to live harmoniously alongside the plant and animal systems God has also brought into being. Now, I want to make special mention of trees, and they are mentioned in the Psalm three times. My wife, Lisa, recently completed the Marine Master Gardener training and has been reading a lot about plants and shrubs and trees, including Peter Wallobin's bestseller, The Hidden Life of Trees. A scientist and conservationist, Tim Flannery, writes the foreword and in it, he personifies trees with his language, and if it's a little too much for you, don't worry about the personification. The surprising things is that, is that, as we all know, although trees are not persons, they communicate among themselves, as researchers, as scientists have now discovered clearly. So Flannery writes, and this is a fairly long quote, but bear with me, it's just It's an amazing statement about the wonder of trees, just one part of God's good creation. He writes, one reason that many of us fail to understand trees is that they live on a different time scale than us. One of the oldest trees on earth, a spruce in Sweden, is more than 9,500 years old. That's 115 times longer than the average human lifetime. Creatures with such a luxury of time on their hands can afford to take things at a leisurely pace. The electrical impulses that pass through the roots of trees, for example, move at the slow rate of one-third of an inch per second. But you ask, why do trees pass electrical impulses through their tissues at all? The answer is that trees need to communicate, and electrical impulses are just one of their many means of communication. Trees also use their sense of smell and taste for communication. If a giraffe starts eating an African acacia, the tree releases a chemical into the air that signals that a threat is at hand. As the chemical drifts through the air and reaches other trees, they smell it and are warned of the danger. Even before the giraffe reaches them, they begin producing toxic chemicals. Insect pests are dealt with differently. The saliva of leaf eating insects can be tasted by the leaf being eaten. In response, the tree sends out a chemical signal that attracts predators that feed on that particular leaf eating insect. Life in the slow lane is clearly not always dull. But the most astonishing thing about trees is how social they are. The trees in a forest care for each other. Sometimes even going so far as to nourish the stump of a felled tree for centuries after it was cut down by feeding it sugars and other nutrients and so keeping it alive. Only some stumps are thus nourished. Perhaps they are the parents of the trees that make up the forest of today. A tree's most important means of staying connected to other trees is a wood wide web of soil fungi that connects vegetation in an intimate network that allows the sharing of an enormous amount of information and goods. Scientific research and understanding of the astonishing abilities of this partnership between fungi and plant has only just begun. The reason trees share food and communicate is that they need each other. It takes a forest to create a microclimate suitable for tree growth and sustenance. So it's not surprising that isolated trees have far shorter lives than those connected together in forests. Just another illustration about the excellence and the wonder of God's good work in creation and that we are called to lovingly care for the environment God has given us. So I've talked about the fact that we're not to deify creation but see it as a signpost pointing to God's good work in creation. That we're to appreciate creation as God's good work as well and lovingly care for the environment. Third, our role as stewards of God's good creation also means that when we foul the air, land, or water, we damage God's good creation and offend and disrespect our Creator. Our Presbyterian Brief Statement of Faith confesses we exploit neighbor and nature and threaten death to the planet entrusted to our care. The largest of environmental issues is surely climate change, and what scientists tell us is that greenhouse gases have accumulated to further heat our atmosphere, causing global warming just one symptom of which is the dramatic increase in wildfires in California and other Western states. Friends, we are now in the midst of the worst fire season in all of California history. I've lived all my 69 years in coastal California and growing up, I don't even remember talk really of a fire season at all. Though fires were certainly not unknown and are a natural occurrence in wilderness and forested areas. In recent years, we've seen an explosion of wildfires in California and other Western states. So far, this fire season alone has consumed 3.2 million acres in California, while the heart of the Southern California fire season is still yet to come. On the Cal Fire website, they have this very sobering paragraph. While wildfires are a natural part of California's landscape, the fire season in California and across the West is starting earlier and ending later each year. Climate change is considered a key driver of this trend. Warmer spring and summer temperatures, reduced snowpack and earlier spring snowmelt create longer and more intense dry seasons that increase moisture stress on vegetation, and make forests more susceptible to severe wildfire. The length of the fire season is estimated to have increased by 75 days across the Sierras and seems to correspond with an increase in the extent of forest fires across the state. That's the Cal Fire website statement. Oregon Governor Kate Brown recently said Oregon is now in the midst of the worst fire season in Oregon history. The same is true here in California. Friends, as those given stewardship over God's good earth, may we join with others around the world to take action to fight climate change. Most of all, as we lovingly tend to the environment, as the garden of God, may we join with the psalmist in confessing, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Amen.